What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Jake Dunlap Show. I am so glad that you chose to stop by. This year, we are talking about generative AI, sales technology, being an innovative seller, and what goes into the modern customer journey. In addition to that, I'm interviewing thought leaders on all variety of topics around leadership, sales, and entrepreneurship. So glad that you joined. Let's get into it. What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. Max, how was your weekend, man? It's been going well. I went kayaking on Saturday night, which right. was great. It was a little festival on the East Bay in San Francisco. It was great. Can't complain. All, right. All refreshed for Monday morning, I guess. There you go. I, <laughs> my weekend was fine until yesterday. I'm a Chiefs fan. And the Chiefs okay. lost a very tough game last night. But I'm not, they did. I saw still not goals. very thrilled about it. <laughs> Now you get to go back on track. Did he line up offside? Maybe. Offensive offside? I'm 43. I've never heard of offensive offside. <laughs> ever. And it was probably one of the best plays ever uh, afterwards. So anyway, I'm in the process of getting over it as we speak. All Hopefully right. I can help. <laughs> Let's get. Hopefully talking about ROI and sales can help me too. So everyone, welcome. Max Elster. Max is a co-founder of Manoa. They are a collaborative business case platform that helps go-to-market teams consistently sell on business impact. And go check out what they're doing. I'll drop the link in here as well, too. And yeah, Max, welcome, man. Good to have you. you. This is a topic, especially we're in like that renewal season. It's like the the, the peak renewal season. So I think this conversation today is going to be very timely for folks out there. So great to hear. And thanks for having me. It's always been great kind of chatting with you. So excited uh, to do this. Hey, so when we say value selling is one-sided today, what, what does that mean to you? When you think about the idea of like value selling, and that's the methodology we, we prescribe to at Scaled as well too. What does that mean to you? When I say it's this idea of value tends to fall one-sided today. Mm -hmm. I think there's a term missing in value selling, right? Which is, it's also about the customer, right? It's not just about selling your product and basically just getting it over the line. And I feel like if we look at how sales is being done today, a lot of the things are still happening behind doors when it comes to pricing and finding the right kind of the, the, the right negotiation tactic. And I think we're going into a time now where it's much more about buy enablement, right? Like how do you actually bring in all the right. different stakeholders on the customer side? How do you actually involve the different buying committees, buying groups in order to identify what is the value for product and how do you bring in the customer in order to understand the value, right? They actually have much more complexity to say is buying software than a few years back. So you got to help them actually understand what's 100%. the value of your product and how does that compare to all the other initiatives that a company is actually running. So when it comes to value being one-sided, I think we are going into a time frame now where it's not one-sided, just a seller articulating the value to the customer. It's actually collaborative. And we bring in all these different stakeholders into some sort of a unified understanding of what the value actually means and how value can be compared to all the other initiatives and, and how you can actually buy products based on value instead of just looking at it at the final price point and you think about the ROI just in the final step. I think we're moving towards a new time frame that's just being started with the trend of buy enablement and of course procurement tools that have come in and bureaucratized a lot of these processes and of course it's just macroeconomic changes that are happening on the market. Yeah, I think it's just, it's always been about aligning it to the value to the buyer. I, I do feel reps have just got to get better at not just understanding like where their product fits in the, the, the person's life, but mm -hmm. also understanding like the complexities of what a role is today. 
mm-hmm. and how the product can add value in different places. I think what I see with a lot of sales teams is they're focused on ROI of a very small part of someone's job. In their mind, the deal is really important. But the other person's, hey, you're going to help me with this. And so am I telling the right ROI story? Am I telling this big, huge macro story to where they really see this as a holistic solution that's going to help them? Or is it very product focused? And that that's and probably it, the, one of the more common like, gaps or issues that I see with teams that we consult with. And obviously, look, there's some very real reasons why in 2024, I mean, 2023 is a weird year. It's like <laughs> the, the stock market, everything's like cranking, but it's a lot of doom and gloom outside of that. And mm-hmm. so what do you think will be, again, you talked a little bit about consensus building. You talked a little bit about value as well, too. Like, why is this topic of value and business outcomes going to be critical for 2024? Yeah, I think there are a couple of like, trends that are happening, right? Of course, one ha- like on the one hand, we talked to a guy at, which is it's very much deep into like how to sell to executives as well. And he talked about, we are essentially at the end of a business cycle. And what that means is just money is more expensive. And, and basically CFOs care much more about where they spend their money on. They're scrutinizing every single deal. They're looking into every single opportunity to cut costs. And of course, as money is more expensive, you just also, on the other hand, have to reduce costs, right? So you look at every renewal opportunity where you can basically jumpstart the conversation and and negotiate deals. But as a company buying software, like there was this famous kind of article by Andresa Horowitz, who where a partner actually said that they looked into all these different software providers of their portfolio companies. And there were different people saying that they actually want to cut costs by or cut one third of all the business applications that they're using. So what does that actually mean to a vendor? It means that you actually need to be much more considerate next year about where, how you actually secure renewals. You need to be much more upfront in securing the CFO buy in order to ensure that you're going to be extended and you can actually still upsell, cross-sell down the line. And I think that's where just the macroeconomic changes are going to influence the tendency of like how you sell your product much more in terms of understanding the value earlier in the process and communicating it throughout the entire sales journey, not just at the end when you want to negotiate the pricing. And I think the other part where we see a trend happening is the last few years have been a booming market for procurement software, right? You see all these procurement software companies actually going into these enterprise organizations and selling them procurement software. What does it mean? It just means that there's going to be more complexity for vendors selling to these big organizations because there's a much more strict process in how software is being bought, right? It's not just finding that one person, that one economic buyer, and you're done with the deal. You actually go need to go through a much more bureaucratized process on the enterprise side. And that's something where I think companies are not yet ready, but they are getting there. And we see that certain, like a lot of companies are are thinking about how to improve and and how to adapt to this new kind of normal. Yeah, I think too, like we have to, and we're going to get into this next here, just again, it's being able to be flexible in the conversation. And I think this Mm -hmm. is where we call it separate solutioning is our tagline for it, which is when I'm telling the ROI, when I'm have this world of, and again, it's interesting because it's consensus, but it's also not consensus because mm-hmm. the reality is each group or department or even just layer within a department, their definition of ROI could all be different. Because, and I think, especially when we talk about enterprise deals, a lot of it is about, okay, IT, this is what it means for you. This is how it's going to work for you. Marketing, this is what it means for you. This is what it's going to work for you. And those, and although there there are some, threads that are common, you're instead focusing on the ROI of the group department level. And, 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 and to your point, I, you know, what I think in 2024 is, as you said, the deals are more complex. Therefore, our pitches have to be 
not complex in terms of confusing, but mm-hmm. complex instead of not just a one size fits all, how we're going to help your company. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the people we see that close big enterprise deals quickly are the, are the people that know how to do that. Again, we call it separate solutioning. And it's an awesome opportunity for people. Other people talk about sense making, right? I think that's what Gartner says. And we see our software has been part of multi-million dollar deals overall. And I feel like what we are seeing more and more is that you actually come into the discussion of understanding value much earlier in the process, right? Because when you talk about sense making, it's about helping all these different stakeholders, whether it's a CFO, whether it's a champion, whether it might be adjacent buyers within the group that you actually might take budget from later, you need to understand how your product delivers value to all these different stakeholders. And if you don't understand that early enough, and you can also quantify it in a way that actually aligns with all these different stakeholders, then you might have difficulties, right? And the worst thing for every seller out there is having a great sales journey and actually having a great conversation with all these different stakeholders, multi-threading, and then you land with the CFO in the final step and they actually ask, where's the business case? How do you quantify right. this? And you're lost. I can't believe that this <laughs> happened. It's, what did you think was going to happen? You know, like... <laughs> And of course, looking at it from the outside, it, it is, it feels easy, but there, if you build a structure and a framework for it, then it gets easier over time. Yeah, agreed. All right, now let's talk about, oh, this is a good one. And by the way, feel free, hey, everyone that's joining or that's already joined us, um, I want to hear how you talk about ROI. So in the comments here, we've got like 40, 50 people here. I want to know how you all talk about ROI. Give me, if you can, in the comments there, one, let me know where you're joining us from. I, I, I did not see that. So we got a few. Are we dealing with grip buying? Larry, can you be more specific? Grip buying? Uh, oh, group buying, I think. Group buying. How successful is this when you have a detractor on the DM committee? Oh, Ashley, that is a freaking good one. That mm-hmm. is such a good one. Let's actually let's tackle that one. Actually, I think let's, yeah. let's tackle that. When you have a detractor on the team here, I'll give my take on Oh, actually, here, Max, why don't you go first? Then I'll give a quick take on it too, as well. Sure. I think one very tactical thing that you could do, and I'm curious, Jake, how you think about it. Yeah. But one very tactical thing is it's about estimating risk, right? It's about understanding how can a detractor eliminate or destroy a deal at the end, right? And if you know the risk and if you talk openly about it with your champion of, which additional stakeholders might come into play and how they can actually fight over the ROI and be negative about it, then you can adapt to it and maybe present a different story to that particular person beforehand or send them a little pre-read before and say, hey, we just wanted to get your feedback and wanted to be curious about how you might see the business case rolling up to this executive meeting next week. We have to create like a little business case up front where we would love to get your feedback on. And then you actually get these people involved earlier before the executive meeting and you might even get their feedback on how they think about the ROI that you're presenting together with your champ as a collaborative joint effort. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be um, a detractor in that specific meeting at all, but it's just going to be bring them on board, make it collaborative again, let them feel that they're at least part of the value narrative that you are probably going to be explaining to this entire buyer group next week. And if you have good answers there and you actually bring them in a joint business case where everybody at least had a saying then there's a higher chance of not having that final meeting and, and getting destroyed left and right, especially if you have one distractor that might actually might have a different perspective on the ROI mm-hmm. that you're building up for that meeting. Yeah, that's exactly it. So there's two things he said that I would also recommend, Ashley. Get a meeting with the person beforehand, mm-hmm. right? So you want to try to meet with them like, hey, I know we've got this larger meeting X. I want to talk through it. This might mean for your group specifically, just to make sure we're all aligned. Because I know that there's been some, hey, could this be a fit? And maybe it's not. And another thing I try to do with these people too is because they're like, dude, you're just going to say it's a fit no matter what. You're just going <laughs> to lie to me. And I'm like, look, 
I, I think that there's a strong way that's actually going to help your group. But let me just talk you through how we've worked with other IT departments. Let's see if there's something there. Mm-hmm. And then that way, when I put together the bigger proposal, I have some very specific things customized to them. So the, what you said, Max, what I do. The other thing that I'll bring up is that you, you don't want these groups talking to each other in this big meeting. And what I want to do, and I can do that by setting a really strong agenda. So the other thing I'll do, Ashley, is let's say if I know IT is going to be a pain in my ass. What I'll do to start that big meeting, let's say I sell a marketing technology app. I'm like, great. Hey, look, I had a good conversation with Jill in the marketing department. I think we have a good understanding of how we might be able to work together and partner. The goal of today's meeting is to focus on the potential impact in areas where we feel like we can help. Mm. After this meeting, IT will set up a more technical deep dive to talk about what this might mean for you and your organization. Okay, great. Sound good, everybody? And then that way when I could, and IT loves to be a detractor, that way when IT is like, oh, what about this? I'm like, that is a great question. That's exactly what we're going to talk about in our call next week. Mm-hmm. And so the, the step one is I don't let certain groups poison the well to start. Mm-hmm. And so it's mm-hmm. so crazy. Sales is such a game of inches. By setting a clear agenda for that first, me- for that big meeting, I cannot tell you how many times it has saved deals. And I don't know how, I, I think maybe I just figured it out after like game planning. Like, okay, what's going to happen here and here? And, and I've been in those meetings, man. I've, me- I've been in the meetings where I've screwed that up. And then IT just steamrolls you or HR or whatever it is. But that's how I handle it. And it works. It's uh, like a sports game, right? You need to have your, your game plan and strategy in place. And in case certain things happen, of course, you got to be flexible and maybe change the tactic. But at least be very upfront about who your opponents are, or in this case, actually, who your collaborators are on the customer side and find ways how you can involve them as part of your strategy and tactic going into that meeting. Yeah, and Larry, Larry had a couple of questions in here, too about group consensus was just like who's responsible for the final decision making here i want to reframe that question because you have to realize in today's world it used to be i've been in sales for 20 years now it used to be i could get a vp or or ceo or somebody to sign off on a fifty thousand dollar purchase without having to get consensus from like their entire team if they saw the roi they saw the impact they'd be like hey yeah this is good i like this i'm gonna loop my team in blah 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 That does not happen today. Mm -hmm. Today, there's still some sales, but today, most sales, what happens is the VP is scared of making an investment of technology that won't get used. And so to me, understanding who makes the final decision is not as important as it used to be. And that's why I'm not, people have heard me talk about Medic before and my views on Medic. There can be eight economic buyers. There can be Mm -hmm. eight detractors. And I'm telling you what happens is that VP goes into a room after you do the demo for the group and says, what do you guys think? And so Lisa, the marketing operations manager, is just as influential as the VP because Mm -hmm. everyone Mm -hmm. respects Lisa's opinion. And if she's negative on it, so... I think we've got to change our mindset. That's why, again, that's why I just don't like these locked in. You get a champion, an economic buyer, and you know who the decision maker is. I'm like, it just doesn't work that linearly anymore. Mm -hmm. Medic was invented in 1996. (laughs) 1996, okay? And that's the process that we're trying to run this like really much more complex through. So Larry, Mm -hmm. I would just challenge you to think of, look, anybody in the end user group can end up being a major influencer on the purchase. Just because someone signs the check does not make them the most important person in the deal. Mm. If, I feel like that, the, that's what I would say. I don't know if you've had anything to add there, Max. It's, there's never been an easier time to say no to 
a potential vendor, right? It's just, you can always just say, oh yeah, my, my influencer actually was disagreeing with kind of in launching this new product or with integrating it into our existing ref up structure. And you have all these different stakeholders. So it's always easy to just say no and, and don't proceed. So I agree with you. I feel even what I'm noticing, even for, for us and for, for our customers is that even users that are now being much more integrated into the sales process have a oh, much 100%. more, a, a stronger opinion than a few years back. Back then it was just maybe the VP that made the decision and the users actually had to just adopt it. Now mm -hmm. what happens, you have all these different software tools that are being launched into these organizations and individual users actually want to have a say in which software they want to be using. And if you don't actually convince them of the value of your product, then you're going to be lost, right? Because they're not going to be using it and you're going to get a renewal and you can actually prevent that beforehand by involving these people and then have their say. And, and one user, if they actually bring in a veto, you might be gone, right? So it's these individual people can be super powerful as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why I answered it that way. It's, I just, you just can't look at it that linearly. Mm -hmm. If you look at the buying committee as a linear people that have a specific role, it does not exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. cannot pinpoint by hierarchy or even there's a powerarchy that trumps the hierarchy every mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And the powerarchy mm -hmm. is not linear. Right. Power can be whoever, can be right? All over. And again, it's even if you've got one person you've said is a champion and by, however you define champion, that's a whole other thing I can get into. But our great question, I'm loving yep. this, loving this, questions everyone. So I would just really keep the questions coming because I like to just jump over there. It's fun for both of us. Okay, now here we are. We're going to get into the why people showed up, <laughs> all right, which is how do traditional ROI stories fall short mm. and how do I make them great? So tell me again, you talked to so many buyers that are, your software obviously supports some of this. So tell me how they see this. How does that work? Yeah, I think the ROI, it feels like it's just three letters, right? And the ROI is mostly the end result of doing a lot of good value work beforehand. And when we speak about ROI, what we are seeing more and more is that companies actually believe in two major things. One is the story, the narrative, and how is that specific to each of these different personas that you're going to be talking to, whether it's the CFO, the CMO, these individual user, users that we talked about, different levels on your champion director level. And the ROI is essentially the end result. So you got to basically lead up towards the ROI. And essentially, if you look at it from first principles, what is the ROI? It's looking at the price of your product versus and compared to the value that you're providing to your customer, right? And the value that you're providing to your customer can be either looking at costs, can be looked at revenue that you can be helpful with or risk, right? These are usually three things. So if you look at it just from first principles, it's like, how do you optimize on the identification of value that you actually provide to your customer or your prospect. And that's something that you should actually be doing collaboratively with these different buying groups that we mentioned earlier. How do you identify what each of these people are interested in? How do you build a narrative that is aligned with their strategic objectives? And that's where, of course, multi-threading and all these different frameworks come in. But it's essentially about understanding that a value message can be different for different stakeholders. And then as a next step, you quantify you that go. and you work with these different stakeholders on understanding what are their current metrics? Where do they want to go? How do they improve that? How can your software based on references, case studies, influence that? And it all leads up to a final quantitative value that you can be communicating. And then of course, based on that, you work on the offer together with the champion and the offer and the value that you're providing results in a final ROI. And I think that's where a lot of people are mistaken that 
they always seem to see this ROI as just like one isolated thing that happens right. in a deal, but it's more a journey that basically evolves throughout the entire sales process together with the champion in a collaborative fashion. And that's the power of it, right? Because then ROI is not just three letters, but ROI is something that was worked towards and that people believe in right from the start until the end. And there are different components that are leading up to it. And you often talk about it. And, and of course, everybody that follows your content about the power of AI, right? And how you can utilize it, especially yeah. if you think about value narratives. That's a fantastic use case for an AI use case because you can actually ask ChatGPT or any other service and to, to uh, these models to, you know, to understand how can you adapt your messaging towards additional buyers and how can you basically get more insights there that maybe you haven't even thought about. And, and that's where automating some of these processes comes into play. Yeah, and I'm going to drop a link real quick. Actually, a couple of things I'm going to piggyback on. I'm going to drop a link to this company that I'm a big fan of called Allegro. And they can really help anyone who's trying to prove ROI on like email, your sales engagement platform. They basically can help with like deliverability and decreasing mm -hmm. your bounce rate. And I think that but it's, it's interesting, though, that use case is a good example of this is you could say, hey, we can help to save time where you're doing this or the ROI is, uh, look, if I can help you to get in front of 6% more people, what would mm -hmm. that do to your pipeline? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of products don't know how to do this very well, where they don't know how to. And just so you guys know, when it comes to ROI, I'm going to lay this out for you. There are four basic sales propositions. I can make you more money. I can save you money. Yeah. I, can, I can save you time or I can increase the quality of something. Mm -hmm. That's it. Everything boils down to one of those four. I'm going to tell you mm -hmm. right now, the number one highest converting is making someone more money. Mm -hmm. It is number one. The worst is saving time. Mm -hmm. And I know that might sound, it, it's not that it's not a value prop. It's that we as humans really struggle to like believe the quantification of it. Even mm -hmm. if you're like, this person's job is going to do this and this. We're like, mm -mm. yeah, but. What else might this person doing, right? <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, let's see. And it can be one part of the quantification, right? I think it's, it's always totally, black black, but, right? but if you don't have to anchor to saving time, don't the right. other ones are much better again. And, and right. anything around dollar gains is the number one always. So just keep 100%. that in mind. Agreed. Okay. So what, what I heard there, when we talk about bad versus good ROI story, number one is you have multiple ways you're talking about return for the organization based on departmental or other priorities. It is 100%. not this one big holistic ROI. No, it feels customized. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm just paraphrasing Max based on like yep. my beliefs of what goes into it as well, too. So there's that. The second is it's grounded in reality. And the closer you can make it to not to maybe be like four to five X what they're paying with you maximum versus you're going to make people are like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> come on, man. So you've got to have it grounded in reality would be the other piece that I would say. And, and then the last numbers, piece right? that I'll bring up in the ROI story, and I don't know if this fits perfectly like ROI story, but I can tell you it's critical as a part of everything we're talking about of why enterprise or even upper mid-market deals don't go through is you also have to, again, you talked about risk, Max. Mm. You also have to talk about the implementation and go live process as a part of this. Mm that mm -hmm. to protect your return on investment and make sure you see it, here's how we're going to help you to go live. Our team's mm -hmm. going to take care of everything. We do this step one, this step two, this step three. That right. helps them to see, and I, I think I'm connecting the dots myself, that helps them to see that you are going to be responsible as the vendor mm -hmm. for me seeing my ROI. Right. 
And, right. and that's what, what we see goes into a big, uh, the a world-class ROI story, customized to each group, how we're going to help you. And then a very clear way that I'm going to help you to get to the ROI as mm -hmm. well. So that would be the only other piece that I would potentially add there. Summarize. And then it leads up to customer success and they supporting, of course, everything on the account management side to, to help that deals get renewed by realizing the ROI that you initially proposed. And that's where the loop gets closed, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would. So again, and if anyone else has other, other techniques and they're like, Jake, but it has to be like this or it has to be like <laughs> this, like I'm all for it. You know what I mean? We can do version two with all the insights that the people are giving us I'm, as well. I'm good with it. <laughs> I'm good with it. But I'm just trying to think out loud here. If there's any other things, like when I'm putting together a proposal, there's really not. That's it. That's how I've closed multiple multi-million dollar deals. And they almost all follow this kind of framework for it. And yeah, we're getting up close to time here. So maybe last piece for you, what's the future? Like, how do you think of the role of this kind of ROI storytelling evolving? What's the future look like? And everyone else, I'm going to drop some uh, links in here. Obviously, we're doing a lot of stuff on the AI front. Definitely make sure to check out what we're doing there because that can actually help you with this. If you're like, Jake, what is ROI to a VP of logistics in industrial manufacturing? Chat GPT it. Mm -hmm. It will help right. you to see, oh, right. yeah. Like typically ROI is defined by these people as blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm right, telling you, right. it's really good at that. So it is. It is very good at it. I think looking at the future, it's funny, right? When you look at, any kind of educational book about pricing, for example, they always tell you, if you would have all the information at hand together with your customer, you would actually make better pricing decisions. But if you right. look at reality, it's still very intransparent. And I think if you look into the future, I actually believe, and we strongly believe that it will be much more transparent as we go into this new cycle of buyer enablement. You actually want to have much more transparency about what you're buying into. So high transparency will be the future where it's less about one person selling somebody a new product, it's about two people collaborating and making sense of what they're buying themselves into. And I think that's a new trend that's going to happen. And, and I actually feel that's a great kind of trend that we're actually getting more transparent, similar to how companies are getting more transparent internally about their communication and the information that they share to their employees regarding financial data and all that stuff. We, I think, are also getting more transparent on the sales side, which is generally a great trend. I think the second trend is we're getting better. Let's be honest. Like yeah. the transparency on the sales side is still pretty pathetic. Like you I think agree. they don't <laughs> know how much it costs. The whole idea of holding back cost today is a little it, silly. You also don't want to do that, right? If you go into a supermarket, you want to know how much you're going to pay for your green tea, right? It's not that they're going to be asking you how much money you're making. And then they basically, they, they tell you at the end as you're walking out the store. And dynamic pricing is still a thing. I think like looking at Uber and like all the consumerization of like B2B, I think it still happens. Like yeah. depending on who you're selling to, of course, you can offer different prices based on the value that you're providing to them, right? They, based, based on, on the, the value, exactly. And, exactly. and that's exactly. totally fine. But then you need to be upfront about it together with the champion. I think that's where the gaps are today. And just start building out a framework. Start thinking about sales leadership should work together with product marketing to think about a unified framework. That's it. That should be the first starting point. And that's probably also what I would take away for the future, that companies will, will see much more effort in building out these frameworks around more value and ROI. Cool. That makes a ton of sense. I agree. I think we have to, and I'll, maybe I'll take it to some other place, which is sales training and work mm -hmm. and how you build your sales playbook. It has to evolve. We have to start our sales properties or sales playbooks or from what is the ideal customer journey, mm -hmm. not what is our sales methodology. And as consumer behavior has changed so much in the last seven to eight years, we have to start to move away from this concept of a linear sales process that everyone must check this box to 
because some people come in super educated. We need to get them to step five immediately. <laughs> and if you're not adding value in the funnel, then we don't need people if right. they can't add value in the process. So that would be my last like final notes on that. So Max, dude, appreciate it, man. Great Thanks, man. conversation here. Everyone, if you're trying to put together a good ROI story, I think we just gave you like the cheat code. So I hope it helps awesome. Check out what Max and his team are doing over at Manoa and Max. Thanks again for joining. Thanks, Jake. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to join us on Wednesday. Me and Kevin Dorsey kicking off AI Unleashed again, talking about everything AI, chat, GPT, and all that stuff. Because That sounds like fun. I can't help. <laughs> all right. See thanks, you, everybody. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe so you get the notifications. And then check out in the show notes some of the cool stuff that we are doing in generative AI. And definitely make sure, if you haven't, pre-order the book, Innovative Seller. It is ready for pre-order now. It's out April 9th. So go down there, buy a copy of the book. We've got all kinds of bonuses for you. And we'll see you next week on The Jake Dunlap Show.